Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Welcome back, everyone. Really excited to have Andy Lawson with us today. He is the head of sales at Mountain Seed. Andy, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, well, I appreciate uh, taking the time out and kind of talking about all of this. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, Andy's got a great background, as, as our listeners heard a little bit earlier in the introduction. Uh, he's had an eclectic path. He's had a lot of experience and some pretty recognizable names. And uh, I think your insights are going to be really fascinating for our, our customers. You know, tell me, I've got to ask just coming out the gate, there's a couple names that I think our uh, listeners are going to be familiar with. Uh, you spent some time at Vonage, you've worked at Top Golf, uh, some pretty sales central uh, industry names. And that's also led all the way through a number of SDR roles, AE roles, all the way into this level of, of sales development leadership that you're at today. What's it been like going through companies of those sizes with those kind of names? Yeah, I think really when when I think about those companies um, and kind of where I, my path led me to here is it's been interesting to see how each company operates uh, because it's completely different, right? So when I started and it came out of college, I started as a you know SDR at a small company called Vocalocity, um, based here in Atlanta, and then I think within a few months, Vonage ended up buying us out. Um, that company was very regimented and kind of that corporate lifestyle, right? So it was very uh, cutthroat. You learn how to kind of you know figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Um, you know, there was a lot of things I learned from that especially as I look to grow teams and, and everything there. So with that, it was very structured. You know, you had to be in exactly at 9 a.m. You had, you had to take an hour lunch. You had to walk out. Um, it became very much of a, you'll hear like terminology sometimes, like a acute part, right? Um, so it was very like, it was kind of in your face for me, right? Because, you know, at this point I'm working from there. I'm, I'm a year out of college. Um, you know, I spent time just doing random jobs at Home Depot and, and things like that to get me through college. But now here I find myself, I've got, you know, I started, there was only like 12 reps. I think by the time I left, there was like 55, 60 all sitting in rows. So it was a little bit of a culture shock. Um, in, in the best way possible. Right. I, I learned it, it's funny when I look now, at the time. And it's, it's almost like how you kind of go about life, right? You're always thinking, you never really know what you're like going through until later on down the road. And then you think back, it's like, Oh, that's how I ended up here. That's what works. That's what doesn't work. And I still find myself to this day, a lot of the principles I take or don't take have stemmed probably from bondage, um, from being that massive, you know, type of company. And at the time when I was doing it, you know, they were just the Vonage that you saw the residential where you saw like those cheesy commercials in the early 2000s of like home phone plans. Um, and that was their first attempt at getting into kind of the business and enterprise space is why they ended up buying us out and kind of going in there. So there was a lot I learned there um, and in the best way possible. And then obviously, you know, I go to Topgolf and it's a complete 180, right? At the time, you know, there's still, you had that startup vibe. It was come in when you want, leave when you want. It's really customer facing. Obviously you're talking about golf and you're talking about memberships and that's just a completely different type of thing. I got to do different things there that took me out of my comfort zone per se. 
Um, cause obviously everything I had done before was inside sales and you're on the phone and you're doing things in a structured manner. And then I go and take over this team at top golf and it's customer facing, right? I'd have certain days where I'd do on the phone, but I'd go out to tournaments and talk and I'd go out to different businesses and kind of, you know, have lunches with them and things like that, which was exciting and, and kind of teaching a different form of sales there. So you end up figuring out a lot of things along the way, especially as you kind of grow. Um, but it, between those two big names, it was really night and day difference between, you know, a structured life that can sometimes burn certain people out to a very free life that doesn't really work necessarily for a lot of people, especially if you can't kind of structure your own self um, as far as that goes. So both had their own pluses and and, and minuses there, but, you know, definitely enjoyed learning as I, I went on. It's funny you, uh, and I'm going to alliterate this, but coming from a cutthroat corporate cube farm culture, <laughs> at Vonage, you did mention you pulled a lot out that you're still using today. I'm curious, what are some of those key lessons that you're driving on? Oh, I think for me in, in that environment, it it works for some people, right? Don't get me wrong. Some people, you know, function. And some of my best friends to this day are, are from, you know, that job. But for me, I learned, you know, KPIs and really diving into where you're going to focus on each person, right? There was very like, everyone in theory is the same, which just doesn't work that way. So it was, you know, you had to have three hours of talk time on the phone. You had to have, you know, 20 outbound dials. You had to take five new leads. And I really learned there and where I really apply to my team and how I grow them out is those are all means to an end, right? When you're doing and you're building out these teams and you're creating an inside sales environment and SDR programs funneling in, I never wanted, I learned from that. I never wanted the focus to be on activity. Activity, it's there. It's a good way to coach. It's a good way to monitor people. And it's a good way to build habits. But for me, if your focus is so driven on having to hit minimums of a dial requirement or anything else, you're taking off the focus of what the company needs as a whole, which is money in the door, right? Dials, you can make, you, I can put a requirement on dials and all of a sudden every rep is thinking, oh man, I got to get to 70. Where am I at at the end of the day? I don't want them thinking that way. I want them thinking, how many meetings do I have? How many meetings have I put in the door? How much money is coming in? Because dials are just, it's a mindless thing. And talk time is a mindless thing. You can't control how long someone talks on the phone. So I really took that. And I knew that when I wanted to get and take this route and get into kind of more development, I knew what I wanted to do from the get-go. And it was to not necessarily put so much focus on a KPI, which for some people is a tough sell, right? Even when I came here, um, you know, it's not always the easiest conversation to have to be like, well, I'm just not going to put any requirements on what they're doing today. And for some people, especially people that, you know, work on analytics and numbers and things like that, it's a tough idea because for them, it's, you know, X amount of dials equals X amount of people equals X amount of meetings. But I've learned over time, it just doesn't work like that. And that's, I think the biggest thing I took from Vonage because it also allows a little bit of freedom for the reps because it's a monotonous job, right? Most people are not going to come in and say, yeah, I love being an SDR. It's, you know, for me, it's, it's an entry level position. You get them in the door and you groom them. Um, so I understand that. And I don't want people to be burnt out and trying to be like, I've got to do these dials every day. You know, when I started there, I had, I think we had to do 135 calls a day. I guess old. And it's, it's, it really, I think burns a lot of people out 
And I've seen it burn a lot of talented people out um, when I was there too. So that's kind of the biggest thing I took from there. It, it gave me the foundation of how I knew I wanted to structure a team. And as I went on, it was mainly putting that into action and making sure that the results delivered the way I thought they were going to deliver. You know, it's interesting. We hear that a lot these days that people are starting to focus. You'd think it would be somewhat obvious, but on results over just the pure activities that lead to them and using the activities as those just kind of guideposts. Are we going in the right direction? Um, you, you talk about kind of a, a night and day difference. You've got this super structured, traditional, classic approach that you got to experience. And then you got to go to almost like a wild west, wide open, let's let's do it how we want to do it. And now you get to, to build your own program. So kind of a two-part question, where is that right balance that you found in between? And then as far as, especially the de-emphasizing certain KPIs, have you de-emphasized all KPIs or have you shifted to different KPIs that are more indicative of results? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you're definitely right. It was it was a little bit of the wild, you know, wild, wild west there. Um, and and at the same time, when I look back and I try to frame out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do this, for me, that was that taught me the other side of it, and that taught me more of the processes, the plans, having structure in place. Because if you de-emphasize certain KPIs, then you're almost creating yourself a little bit of an issue of giving someone too much freedom, right? And that doesn't work for every single rep. There are some that are, you know, wired that way and it will, but for the most part, it's not going to work. So being at Top Golf taught me the idea that you've got to have a plan in place and got to have structure to a certain degree because otherwise you're all over the place. And and I can easily admit that I struggled with that sometimes of, you know, not having somewhat of a plan or struggling to stick to a plan there. And I knew as I kept going that that was kind of where I wanted to do. So it taught me in that sense, it taught me that to answer your first question, the, the balance part of it. It's like I went from a company that had so much structure that it burned, it burns you out. And then I go to one that's like all over the place. So being able to see two sides of the coin really kind of allowed me to know, all right, if I do this and when I do this, I know where I want to sit. And then it's a matter of from there leading the way I, I know I can lead and developing everyone. Because at the end of the day, you know, that's the goal. That's what I tell everyone that comes on here at Mountain Seed is that I don't want you in the position long term. I want to get you out of the position. My goal is to get you out of this spot because like I said earlier, it's it's a rough job, right? Um, try to make it as fun as you can, but it's rough. So that's where I really learned balance. Um, I think to go back to you know your second part of the question with the KPIs, I did it definitely de-emphasize kind of your structure and your activities. I thought those going through it and experiencing it and having conversations that that was not something I wanted. I didn't want activity to be really heavy on emphasis. Because when you think about it as an SDR and you think about trying to grow these teams and lead these teams, it's really going to come into play of like knowing each person individually and how they're going to operate. And for me, if you tell people they've got to have 75 dials every day and they've got to, you know, make 10 connections or whatever it is, right? That's all they're going to focus on. And so, you know, I noticed when I came on here and we, you know, I came on to a team of, I think, three reps at the time, three or four. And I noticed that the focus is like, oh, yeah, I got my dials today. I'm out. And then they would leave. And then it was like, but they may have no meetings. And I'm like, well, nothing was accomplished here. I, you know, in theory, we just paid you to like, dial and with dialing and 70 times, you're probably getting, you know, 10 people to answer if you're really having a good day. Um, so I knew immediately that when you do it and you focus on those KPIs, the mindset needed 
it doesn't, it's not in the right place. So for me, what I switched on was emphasizing the meetings, right? I wanted to put the weekly and really the only KPI I really focus on is meeting set. So each SDR here has a weekly meeting set goal. And the way I set it up was I don't care if it takes you 10 calls to get eight meetings a week. I don't care if it takes you 300 calls to get eight meetings a week. For me, you got eight meetings and eight meetings equals money in the door. And then you work down the path of working with the closer and getting the deals closed. So it was funny when I switched it over, immediately the output started going. And if you actually looked at like the dials and everything like that, they all went down probably 20, 30% off the bat. But we jumped up. We just had our biggest quarter we've ever had. Crushed any record by, I think, like 60 more meetings than we've ever done in a quarter. Um, and it was it really just validated what I always kind of knew when I really built this out was if you put the focus on what is important to the company, and if you ask yourself that question, what is most important to the company, you're going to be able to develop what KPIs are. Now, what this also allows you to do is allows you to coach in a more effective manner. I think a lot of times too, is the focus on KPIs and the focus on all these businesses and how they're going to manage their teams is that they all think it's this square box that you can just put people in and you can grow this out to 60 people and it's going to equal 10,000 calls you know, in a month and you're going to get all... It just, it just doesn't work that way. So keeping the KPIs, we still track the dials. We still track when you call, what time of day you call, when's your best connect rate, et cetera. But what it allows me to do and what allows my managers to do in the process is develop effective coaching to make sure that these reps are getting what they need and making sure that they're moving on. You know, they're becoming a closer. They're becoming any other position they want to become within this company or, you know, another company as well. And so if I look and see as a rep, you didn't get eight meetings this week. Well, now the other KPIs, well, you didn't have requirements on them. I can now go try to figure out what happened. So if I see you did 60 calls that week, well, there's your, there's your first issue and I can coach you on that. It's, it's your effort. You need to improve that. Or if you did 350 calls, and you didn't set it, well, now I know it's probably your pitch so that I can effectively coach on that. So that's kind of, I think too much focus gets put on kind of the activity KPIs. Uh, it's effective if you want to coach and grow these people, but it's to me, it's not effective if you're not putting the right focus on what is most important to the company and what is most important to the business being successful and allowing you to grow and bring more money in the door. So, you know, for me, that's kind of where I've shifted the focus is that I'm not going to put requirements around when you leave during the day. I'm not going to put requirements on how you work your day. You know where you need to be at the end of the week. It's up to you to get there. And if you're really good at doing it in less calls, hey, bravo, you're probably natural at this. If you're not, well, then we can start coaching and getting you to develop and grow. Because let's face it, most people that are taking any SDR roles now are probably out of college or someone shifting into a brand new you know, world. So you're not going to be hiring guys with three, four years of SDR experience. So you know, that's kind of my mindset and how I've, I've learned to really kind of hone in on not only this team, but other teams I've worked with in the past. That's fantastic insight. And by the way, congratulations on crushing uh, this quarter. I'm actually really curious at what you've kind of observed once you took the activities, you know, kind of signposts or guardrails down. Where did people gravitate more towards? What would, what did you see 
on behalf of your team in kind of like this little Petri dish experiment? I think the biggest thing, and and I've got one, I won't name the rep, um, but he, uh, he was kind of the perfect example of this working out the way I thought it was going to work out. And really where I saw a shift in mindset, it, it was almost immediate within day one of me watching this and doing it this way, was that when we had KPIs focused on activity, as I was coming on and learning the business, and learning, you know, what works and what doesn't work here. You could just see some of these reps pick up the call, get someone to answer. And if they said no, they would hang up, right? There was no objection handling. There was no focus on trying to get the person to take the call. And it frustrated me to a certain degree because you can tell someone all day long, this is how you object. This is how you fight. This is how you do it. But all they cared about and all they saw is before the phone even picked up, was sweet. There's my 70th dial. I don't care what happens after this. So for me, the first day, this one rep, I think his highest quarter ever was like 36 meetings. And at this point, he'd been here about six, seven months. And immediately when we switched and he would tell you constantly, like he was very vocal, which I appreciate. I, I want people to like talk. I, I think it's it almost seems taboo that people nowadays are afraid to like speak their mind, like afraid of a consequence. Like I don't operate that way. Uh, so I want you to be able to you know, voice your opinion. I may not agree with your opinion, but I want you to voice it. And so he would always let you know, like, man, this is just wearing me out. 70, 80 calls. I'm like, I can't, you could tell he was struggling mentally. So as soon as we flipped it, all of a sudden you hear him on the phone and he's pushing past an objection and he's pushing past the second one and he's pushing out a third. And then he would land the meeting and he would just start celebrating. And he went one quarter, he went from 36 meetings to 92 meetings in just one quarter off the flip. And it was really just to focus on the mindset. Not Now it doesn't matter how many calls I have to do. So the pressure is not on them to dial. Now the value is, oh, I've got a guy on the phone. I've got to get this meeting because I need eight. So that was the biggest shift, not only for him, but everyone else. And that's what excited me the most is you see validation and you know what you put in place. And up to this point, you're it's theory and theory isn't always going to work. Um, so the, seeing them immediately shift their mindset and like being able to push and get meetings, I think that was the biggest shift in mindset that I saw period. And uh, yeah, it's been rolling ever since. So did you see anybody start doing more work in certain spaces? I have. There's been certain reps and this is where you get the argument, right? If you ever mentioned like, oh, well, this doesn't make sense. If they set 10 meetings this week and they only did 90 calls, well, if they would have done 150, you know, you could have gotten X amount more. And it's like, you have to kind of let them figure that out. And it's tough for especially certain sales leaders to buy into that. It's tough to like, look at some of these numbers, like certain numbers. When I talk, I'll talk percentages. I will never actually show people the dials because I know certain people are not going to be able to like look at this and be like, well, they can do more. So for me, when when I look back on like seeing certain reps, it's those reps, you're going to have natural reps are going to be hungry, right? It's sales. At the end of the day, everyone that goes into sales does not survive in sales. It's a tough world to be in. So this allows, I think, people to kind of float to where they're going to float to. So for some of these reps that are hungry and they want more money and they want that, those are the guys that end up being account execs and working their way into closing. And then you see other reps that are just doing the bare minimum, but they get more joy out of coaching or like, you know, seeing how everyone else is doing. So 
I think for me, when, when I look at those numbers, I've had tons of reps that like see it as a, a goal to always be on top. And then you see reps kind of float away. But for me, that allows me to know, okay, I can better chart and help you grow in your career because now I can tell you're more into wanting to be a manager or develop or do something else versus now I know the guys that want to be closers because I can see it in their attitude and their efforts. It's a catch-22 for some people, for sure. Um, I'm not naive to that. Um, it's definitely worked for us um, and allowed us to do it, but it's not easy for everyone, uh, especially analytical people, uh, which I am not. So, <laughs> I, I was just really curious to get one kind of kind of insight off the table with how you're running your teams now, largely around you. You made the statement earlier that you, you see it your job to get you out of the SDR role. What is the the? And we've actually been talking a little bit about Goldilocks zones, right? Like finding just the right balance between <laughs> number of activities and outcomes. You know where the focus is, where it should be. What do you think the ideal kind of like career trajectory for an SDR, especially at say Mountain Seed, would look like? I think for the majority of people that are in an SDR role, and especially here, they're obviously in it to be in sales. Right. Yeah. So moving on into a junior closer role or a closer role, um, we've had some of my reps move into loan processing roles and helping out kind of a, a larger scale thing. Because at the end of the day, especially here, it's a little different, right? It, we have variations of different business lines and some of it, especially working in the banking industry is dealing with loan processings and things like that. So it's not your straight you know, B2B sales necessarily, right? You're trying to do longer sales cycles and things like that. So I would say probably about 60% are probably going to end up in sales here or somewhere else. I've had a couple go and take advantages of other opportunities and that's awesome. Like I'll 100% push for that no matter what. Um, and then I'd say about the other 40% are usually wanting to do leadership um, has been big. We've promoted from within there. Um, I've had a few go to finance. I've had a few go to the Salesforce side of it. They love the tech stuff. So, you know, we try to be open, especially as, you know, with Mountain Seed as general is their motto and our motto is to provide opportunities for everyone to thrive using their God-given abilities. So we take that to heart and allow them to kind of move. I think a lot of times though, when you look at SDR as a broader role, once again, because the role is not fun, the more SDRs I talk to and see, it's to be in sales, right? It's money driven. Usually you're probably not getting into sales if you're not motivated by money and you're not motivated by, you know, activities and efforts. Those people that do get into it, they usually don't last very long and they end up realizing that pretty quickly. So, you know, for most people, I think it's it's being a closer or an account exec or, you know, making as much money as possible, especially considering the fact that most SDRs are early 20s. Um, I was myself. And so you get out of college, you're hungry and, and you go for it. Um, so that's where I think you'll see. And I've seen in the past where most people want to usually aim for. You, you know, you've mentioned something a few times in a few different ways. And it makes me think of something that you said to us actually before we started recording for the podcast, which was you mentioned the the common misconception of what an STR team really is and how to scale it out in the first place. Um, in our conversation, we've been talking about scaling and, and to give reference for our audiences, I, I believe you said that your team has roughly doubled in the last two years. So you're clearly succeeding yourself in scaling these two. Uh, just to give an idea, I'm not talking about two to four. We, I believe it's something like 55 to about a little over 100 people now. So you've obviously figured out how to scale these organizations based on everything we've been talking about so far. So 
if everyone has a misconception or so many people have a misconception of what an STR team is and therefore how to scale it, what is it? Yeah, I think the best way for people to look at what an SDR team is and, and how they operate is it's almost twofold, right? They're the first introduction to your company, period. So in essence, they're already taking over almost like a customer success or an account manager type of role in theory. That's your first impression you're giving to the market is that SDR. Good, bad, or indifferent, that's probably the first person they're going to be talking to no matter what at this company. Second part of it is that's where you're bringing in all your opportunities, especially for startups and you're growing your team because you're not throwing millions of dollars into marketing. You're not out there. It's all grassroots efforts. And I think every SDR team that has ever built is built on the idea that it's going to be a grassroots effort. You obviously have certain ones at other companies that have been big and have grown to that size. You'll see inbound teams taking calls, but for a company like us, we're not you know, marketing all over the place. It's it's literally my team's feeding in the closers and their opportunities. So when you look to scale this, I think the hardest thing that I've seen is that you see numbers on a team of five, right? And they're doing a thousand calls a week and you're getting X amount of opportunities, which leads to X amount of dollars in the door. So naturally, every single person looks at this and be like, oh man, I've got five doing it really well. If I do 50... I'm going to obviously do 50,000 calls. I'm doing X amount more opportunities and things like that. And it doesn't work that way because one, you have to realize what the market is going to give you, right? So for us, for example, there's only so many banks and credit unions in the country. It's not this like market that's just, I can blow through, you know, 1500 leads or 1500 banks and credit unions. And there's going to be 50,000 more because there's only a limit to so many. So You have to start thinking through how many can I build that are going to maximize the opportunity while also not blowing up these banks and credit unions and being able to rotate them out in a certain way. So that's one aspect of this that I think people don't realize is that you can't scale fast and you can't scale to the idea that if five are doing it, 25 are going to do the same. Because the other variable to this is these five reps might be really well trained up. They may be a year into this role and it's working and functioning correctly. You can't scale that to 25 immediately and hope that the other you know, 15, 20 reps are just going to figure it out and get it within the first month. So you have to do it slow and you have to have the ability to have training and have the knowledge base built in. Um, and not only from like, what we do from a product scale, but you have to, they have to learn the nuances of cold calling and the nuances of how to talk to someone and the mental aspect of taking a no. I, I'd say when I started and when I did SDR work and when I closed, it probably took me about two years before I actually felt comfortable of someone yelling at me or saying no to me or I messed something up or anything like that before I would just hang up the call and be like, all right, next one. It took me time. And that's something you have to realize when you're scaling these people is they're coming in generally with no experience and it takes some people longer than others. And so when you're trying to scale this up, if you have your processes in place and your knowledge base in place, you can slowly start to build, but you have to think through not only the bodies and the analytical aspect of it, you've got to think through what type of leads I have. How many do I have? How many people can I call? Because if you don't think of all that, it's almost like a house. If you don't build the house on a strong framework, it's going to fall apart. And so I think when people look at this and you're trying to scale these teams, you have to understand a number of different things, but 
my biggest takeaway that I would tell anyone is don't do it on analytical numbers to a degree because you have to have a human element there and you have to have some common sense because it doesn't work a plus b equals c it's you're gonna end up blowing up in your face and for most of these companies i think you'd end up losing money you know and ended up scaling back down i think that's the biggest key to really take away when you're trying to scale these up is that you've got to frame it right and you've got to build slowly you can't just blast it you know, I've got to ask, you operate in a particularly tricky space. Banking is not known for the easiest cold call in the world. And we have a number of clients who work there, a number of listeners, and also a number of both who work in similar types of spaces. Uh, there are a lot of reasons they're, tr- they're difficult, some because they're Red Ocean, some because they're a certain type of traditional or conservative. There's a million different reasons that a space can be difficult. But the numbers you're putting up are quite impressive. You know, eight appointments a week in a relatively limited target group, especially in a space like banking, you're obviously doing something very, very right. So how have you approached such a unique space, such a competitive space where, I mean, I've cold called banks. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do and certainly not for those kind of ratios. So how are you getting a massive amount of people to all be able to perform in such a difficult space? I, th- I think for us, it's, it's kind of twofold. One, I think the way we've spaced it out has worked out really well for us. Um, We limit each quarter to about 1,500 banks and credit unions. And we we try to keep it a year rotation. Um, I think that's the first thing. One, because you're right. A lot of these guys and girls are not the nicest people in the world. It's like you're ruining their day if you're calling them and trying to get into that space. And then, like you said earlier, a lot of these like smaller, you know, credit unions, smaller community banks, they're afraid of change. They don't want to, you know, switch it up or cost, you know, John that they've been working with for 30 years, his job or anything like that. So I think the first part is being able to space it out correctly. Um, You don't want to oversaturate your company and oversaturate your pitch because you start to lose effectiveness on what you're actually trying to accomplish, which for us is to get them in the door and to have a conversation. Um, One of the big focuses we try to do here, um, especially with my team, is to focus on the meeting. I think a lot of times, especially early on, you saw a lot of our reps try to talk. They tried to sell appraisal you know, management services. They tried to sell products that we have. It doesn't work because you're talking to people who have 20, 30 years of experience and they're immediately going to know you're BSing them across the board. And you lose them off the get-go. Um, so for me, I wanted to shift the focus on getting them to have an introductory call. You want to establish it in the first 30 seconds when you call these banks because one, you're jumping into their day. Um, I know a really effective pitch that we've had is literally starting it out that way. It, you know, They call in and like, hey, I know I'm jumping your day real quick. I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You know, Have you ever heard of Mountain Seed? A lot of times they have at this point. Um, we've, we've gotten her name out there enough to where they usually have that. And so from there, I want them to really just throw it out. Hey, this is what we're trying to do. We have this product. I think there's a market here for you. Do you have five to 10 minutes over the next couple of weeks to have a meeting? Then you go through a standard sales cycle at that point. And in my opinion, it's like, you're going to get an objection. If you push back at the same one, probably a legit objection. Nine times out of 10 though, the second objection is a different one, which tells you they're just making something up. So I think that's really where you shift the focus on getting the meeting. I know there's different models behind it. I know some companies you want a qualified meeting, checking off X amount of um, boxes and giving the closer the best qualified meeting possible. Our mindset is more of filling the top of the funnel and then the closers will then let it you know, sift out from there. 
I think that helps when you're trying to do a cold calling market. You're not going to get the greatest people in the world. Some of these meetings are going to go nowhere. Some of them are going to hang up on the closer, whatever. But it allows us to kind of just throw everything to them and then they can sift it out. And when you're cold calling, you have a lot less time to get their attention than an inbound call or someone that submitted information wanting you to call them. So I think for us, those have been the two biggest keys to this is spacing out who we're calling enough so that we're not oversaturating ourselves and then having the mindset of get a meeting and not sell the product. Because if they're selling the product, they're going to lose them nine times out of 10. I've had countless reps try to do it. And the minute they shifted that off, their numbers jumped 30, 40%. So you know, it's, it's a mental game. I mean, that's what this all is. It's a mental game, not only from our end, but the psychological aspect of talking to someone, how can you control the conversation without them thinking you're controlling it? Um, all of that stuff kind of fascinates me. And that's where I love this game of trying to figure out how can we get you to, to talk to us? So those have been, I think for, for me and, and this team, our keys to our success and putting up the numbers we were putting up right now. Well, I'm, I'm also fascinated by the mental game and I'm glad that you brought that up. Real quick, I, I want to understand something about your structure at Mountain Seed. As head of inside sales, do you also oversee the closers that are being fed meetings? So when, yeah, when I first, when I first started, um, because obviously we're a startup, I think when I came on, I was probably 60th employee, somewhere around there. And we're at, uh, I think today, 140. So just a little over a year and a half now. So I first started to, we've now started to branch out to where they're now, I think we just hired one over our capital markets division about six months ago. Um, we just hired a head of our analytics program. So we are now trying to specialize and space it out, I think, which will help because the more specialization you're going to get, I think the better off everyone is as a whole. So right now I'm not as involved on the back end as I used to be probably about a year ago, uh, six months ago at the latest, but you know, I still sit in on their meetings and get feedback and understand what they're trying to do to better help them in any way that I can. But I've definitely kind of shifted out of the whole sales team and focused more on building out and the top of the funnel started. Because I've been all over the place from... I was over sales ops at one point for six months doing the sales force. So it's kind of fluctuation, which is part of the the joy for me uh, working at a startup where I know some people we would drive them crazy. You know, I enjoy this more than anything, just well, saying yeah, everything and figuring it out. Reason I ask that question is is it sounds to me like you've actually uh, climbed the most important hill here of expectation setting of what that first call should be after it's coming down from you know your your appointment setters at the top of the funnel. So you know where it doesn't work or where I've observed people really stubbing their toes, and it sounds to me like you've navigated these waters very successfully, is, hey, you won't just be transactional. You won't just be order taking. <laughs> You're going to have to actually open up um, a curious, someone who who felt like there was enough there to take a call, but like you said, may not go everywhere or may not go anywhere for the large majority of, of people that are setting appointments. Yeah, and I think that's too what I've noticed is, like I said, there's other companies and, and Vonage was one of them, right? Um, the SDRs there had eight questions they had to check off. You know, it, they had to meet this requirement, this, that, and the other. And then they would pass it on and then the closer would know this and they would start thinking, well, I don't like the answer they gave me here. This is now unqualified. Because you're always going to have 
no matter where you go, you're going to have the dynamic of closer and SDR, and they're never going to be on the same page. One's going to think they're qualified. One's going to think they're not qualified. It's the SDR's money. It's the closer's money, et cetera. Right? So the, the one thing I, I wanted to avoid here, and I think what we built out really well is the fact that take the emphasis off of a qualified lead because it does one of two things in my opinion. And certainly this is just mine, but for me, it's like you're, you know, and it's tough for me to say the percentages, but you're getting a higher percentage of leads that maybe they would have checked off seven out of the eight boxes and it turns into a hundred thousand dollar deal. But if you tried to qualify it, you would have never gotten that far in the get go. And then two, you've automatically turned off the thinking of a closer taking a lead and working it on the idea of if it's qualified or not. Now you have them shifting. Here's a lead. Let's see if I can turn it into gold and go from there. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. They hang up, they move on to the next one. Close lost, you're done. And so I think that's where we really have success is that we have the ability to sift out certain opportunities and certain you know banks and credit unions that we probably wouldn't have done if we tried to put a threshold on it. And it's helped us grow this, you know, at a rate where over a pandemic year and uncharted territory, we didn't let anyone go. And we've more than doubled our, you know, employee count since then. So, you know, I think for that, it's it's a big thing to kind of shift off because it, when you're doing this and you're thinking through sales, yeah, there's psychology to who you're selling to, but there's also a psychology on the back end. How are your closers operating? How are your SDRs operating? And I think you have to have as close as possible synergy between the two teams and and not putting thresholds on qualifying and unqualifying, I think allows us to kind of expand that a little better and helps us close at a, at a higher clip. Well, this ties right back to what you were saying earlier about not only incentivization, but KPIs in general and aligning them to what the company really needs. You know, we, we have a colleague that always says uh, compensation dictates behavior and that applies to, to KPI as well. It's not just the, the financial compensation, but the rewards, the, the hitting your success numbers. Uh, it, it really does control what, what people do. So it's really interesting to see how there's a number of different paths you're taking and another di- number of different forms of adjusting compensation and adjusting behavior with it. It's, it's really fascinating to see. Is that something that you're doing proactively and consciously, or is that something that's just happening naturally as you build these teams? For me, it's something uh, I'm doing proactively. Uh, I think that if if you're in a leadership position and you think you know everything, or you think that I've had some success, I've got it figured out, let's stick here, you're going to run into a wall at some point where you're no longer having that success. And I'm very cognizant of that. And I think for me, I grew up playing sports. I grew up playing basketball. I played soccer. That kind of instilled this always wanting to be better. Because at the end of the day, great. We've had a great year. We've had a great quarter. We crushed, you know, we broke our monthly record for the fourth time out of the past five months. Awesome. There's someone out there that's better at working harder. You know, it goes back to a quote you see a lot of times, like, nobody cares, work harder. That's something I try to always remember. It's like, cool, we've had success, but where can I improve this now? Where can I have changed? I've probably changed and thrown different ideas over the past year and a half. Not all have worked. <laughs> there have been some that have kind of blown up my face. And, and for me, that's, that's important too. And that's what I try to tell my reps is that the best learning experience is failing. You're not going to learn by me telling you what you, know, you failed at. You give, fail- give us one example of those, of those failures. One of those failures, like, uh, well, it was definitely, I mean, going back to these KPIs and stuff like that, when I first came on, we had just started a, um, a property tax kind of division and kind of seeing where that goes. 
And that one was reaching out to true cold calling of like commercial real estate. And for that, it was, oh, let's really blast the dials and really do that. And I've, you know, I sat back and I watched, I was like, this is not working. Like you can't do this. And it led to me figuring it out as I grew and, and bringing me back to my bondage days and bringing me back to this, you know, even going back to another one, and it's not even a sales part. It was the clocking in and the clocking out, the coming and the going. When I first came on, and this was a real struggle for me, is they didn't have to come in at a certain time and they could leave whenever they wanted. And that was a struggle to me on the idea that, what are you doing? Like You're just coming in at 10 and you're leaving at 3 today and then you're doing all that. So I, I was like, all right, we're going to do... You come in at 9, you take an hour lunch and, and you leave at 5 in the afternoon. And then immediately production went down. And so I had to take a look in the mirror and be like, okay, we're just going to, I'm just going to trust this. And that led to obviously the, you know, the whole growth and the evolution of of where these KPIs are and and putting the focus on meetings. Only requirement I have now is you're here by 9am. I don't care where you're at at lunch. I don't care when you leave at lunch. I don't care how long you take for lunch. I don't care when you leave for the day. I'm a big proponent on work-life balance. I want you to go do your stuff. You know where you got to be at the end of the week? Go do it. And it's so far worked to a charm. Um, so yeah, I've definitely stumbled. Uh, you got to learn. And I think especially when you look to scale these teams and to grow these teams, if, if you get comfortable and you think you're doing well, it'll come back and, and catch you. And so for me, I'm always proactively learning how I can improve, talking through things, trying different things and, and seeing what works. Because at the end of the day, you know, our goal is to be the biggest company, be the best company in commercial real estate and in the banking world and being a household name. I want to continue on that growth. I don't want to get stagnant in my success. And it's not my success, right? I can sit here and tell you all day long, all these ideas. I'm not the one doing the work. It's the reps doing the work. It's the reps buying in. It's the reps enjoying our culture and having a good time. You know, I'll never take credit for that. So for me, the more I can do to try and improve it, the more I can do to proactively try to think through and change things, I'm going to always take that chance and, and really kind of see what happens um, because I don't ever want to get comfortable. If you're comfortable, you're probably in the wrong spot. It's a great answer. And it, it's spoken like a true leader. I'm sure you have at least some part in that culture. I think uh, anyone who's tried to build an SDR organization has learned the hard way how how much you have to have input to really build that kind of culture the right way. And, and it's clear that you've done that. So uh Appreciate the humility, but give yourself a little credit too. Uh, you know, now it's been a couple different organizations you're doing this. You know, as as we get to the tail end of this, uh, I, this is kind of a. It always feels a little bit like a generic question, but we get some great answers sometimes. General advice for someone coming up in the enterprise sales development space, especially maybe in those kind of you know the banking space or in some of these trickier markets. We know the frustrations they might run into. We've talked about their career paths, but any general advice you give someone in there? I think the best advice is understanding and almost thinking the way an SDR needs to think um, is the best way I can probably put this. And that's really to embrace failure and embrace things not working. For me, I had to really understand that everything I was going to do may not work. And as I grow teams, you're going to have the pressures of the numbers and what are you bringing in the door and things like that. And you immediately want to go to the traditional KPIs and you're going to want to do things traditionally and probably what you read. And I would say my biggest piece of advice is don't be afraid to do things different because you got put in that spot because they trust in the ability to do that. 
And if you take that mentality and you understand that I'm here for a reason, I didn't get lucky, I didn't trip into this role. And if you take that thought process and know I am here to do a job and I'm going to do it my way, you're going to be, you're going to be successful. So my biggest piece of advice for any of them is trust in your own ability. And not only that, but trust in the people you hire, trust in the managers you hire. It's the right person in the right seat. You hired them for a reason. The company hired you for a reason. Have, have confidence in yourself to take chances and to take risks. And if you have the numbers to back yourself up, you're going to be good. Because at the end of the day, anyone in higher leadership or anything like that, they're not looking at how you're doing it. They're looking at the numbers. So my best piece of advice is as you build these out and as you kind of grow, chart the numbers, see what trends you can see. Are there times during the day that work better or not? What motivates your reps? Are there ways or there certain asset sizes with banks that are better than others? The more data you put together in your own document, your form, I have a notebook that I chart stuff at. You can start pinpointing where to target and grow because don't expect change to happen in a month. I typically you're going to have to give yourself about a six month runway for not only you to figure out what kind of team you're taking on or where you're trying to grow it to, but you also have to kind of realize it's going to take reps about six months to really kind of find their groove. And people I see kind of really putting too much pressure on themselves are the ones thinking they can do it in two months, three months, because you have to have data. You have to have numbers. I remember when I came on here, they track numbers on a whiteboard. Um, so you couldn't go back week to week, month to month, year to year. Where were we? What did we do this week? Things like that. Because if you don't like track these numbers and know you can't forecast correctly and then expectations become too high and you can't deliver on those. So I think for me, it's like trusting your abilities. You got in these, this position for a reason, you know what you're doing. You know, the, I think the, the best piece of advice I got when I got here was stop thinking so much and just do it and trust in the fact that I, I believe you're going to do what you need to do. So you have to give yourself credit and you have to kind of treat your team in that same way and know that you put them there for a reason. I love that. For those grinders out there who are listening, if you've listened to this conversation, you know that the grinder roles that Andy's had are actually some of the biggest contributors to the success that he's now had as a leader. So there, there is light at the end of that tunnel. And I think that's that's great advice, Andy. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I think it's definitely, you know, important for for them to realize that. And and it's, you know, I it's funny when you look at a job and you look at your career and everything like that. I always go back to comparing it to like a relationship you know, or a bad breakup or anything like that, you know, it may seem like the end of the world if you fail or something like that, but look a year later and it'll make sense on why that happened and you're ending up in a better spot. So there's definitely some, some analogies there, uh, you know, across the board. Um, yeah, just don't beat yourself up. I, I trust in the process that this was an interview chock full of really great advice. Andy, Tell the uh, listeners where they can find out more about Mountain Seed, yourself, um, how they might connect. Yeah, um, definitely on LinkedIn is the best way to connect with me. Um, it's got my personal contact info and everything there. I'm always up for conversations. I love talking about this stuff. I like, you know, helping out. That's why I got in this position. You know, I did sales, it kind of burned me out, but I get energy from teaching and learning and, and picking brains of other people. So LinkedIn, definitely the best way to get me. Um, Obviously, with our company, you know, mountainseed.com, that's the best way where you really can learn about what products we're getting into, 
Uh, we just launched an analytics program that we've been building for a few years now that actually gives live time appraisal data for commercial real estate um, companies and banks and credit unions looking to track, you know, chart live time data. You can see all of our information there, leadership team and submit requests on that. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely exciting things to come. I, th- I think seeing us grow, you know, over, over the pandemic and being a part of the PPP program and, and allowing us to kind of keep pushing forward, um, you know, exciting things to come and, you know, best, you know, best way to reach out to us is definitely through there. 